Welcome to episode 204 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. There is a topic that I've been meaning to get to for a long time, and that is the EV, the electrical electric vehicle powerhouse, manufacturing powerhouse that China has become. This is a key part of why the, the International Energy Agency thinks that oil demand will peak in 2030. And EV sales around the globe are exploding. Last year, they were 10 million. And I think by, if I remember my numbers correctly, Bloomberg NEF is forecasting 26 million by 2025. 6 million of those uh, EVs were sold in China alone. And by 2025, Li Jing, CEO of the Chinese carmaker Li Auto, says electric vehicles could hit 80% of all new cars sold in China. So I'm going to talk to Vivek Vaidya, a principal and global client leader at Frost & Sullivan, about Chinese EV manufacturing. So welcome to the interview, Vivek. Uh, happy to be here, and this is a very interesting topic, and happy to chat with you about it. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm joining you from uh, Singapore. Uh, it's a small city, uh, which is close to, uh, right in the center of Asia Pacific and works closely with both China, India, and Japan and Korea. So you have an, an, an excellent your position with which to kind of keep tabs on what's going on in the Asia Pacific and the transformation of the global auto industry that it really is being driven by Asia Pacific. That is absolutely correct. And even the city where I stay in Singapore is very uh, forward looking, very futuristic when it comes to the transportation system. So yes, uh, it is an excellent position to be in, uh, to analyze, monitor and compare and contrast between the automotive markets across the world. Now Vivek, I'm kind of curious. Uh... As much I don't know a lot about China, but at least I keep tabs on it, and I have I've interviewed one or two experts uh, in the last year about it, and we kind of you know we pay attention to India just because of its the size of its market, and we know that there a lot of it is uh, two and three wheelers that dominate the transportation market, and there are, I think it's something like seventy percent now of those have already converted to electric, but what about other a a countries Asia or sorry Malaysia. Uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, you know, Bangladesh, Pakistan, you know, what's going on with electric vehicles in those markets? Uh, these countries are taking their first baby steps in electrical world. Uh, the uh, What is in forefront is Thailand as well as Singapore. Both these countries are on forefront. Uh, the governments have woken up to the fact that electric vehicle is a new opportunity and it requires a completely holistic and different mindset to um, make it acceptable and make it popular among the customers. So Thailand and Singapore, I would put as two uh, countries that are on the forefront. Of course, um, Korea and Japan, which is a home ground of a lot of OEMs, there is a lot of experimentation that is happening there. Right? So I, I'm not considering them, but uh, other markets uh, behind China, I would put it, put it as Thailand and Singapore. Well, let's talk about what's going on with China's EV manufacturing industry. Now, I understand that 20, 25 years ago, uh, the Chinese government was looking at its auto industry, and it already had a significant auto manufacturing industry, 
but it was always going to be uh, behind the uh, other, you know, Europeans and the North Americans and the Koreans and Japanese when it came to internal combustion engine technology. And so it it made a bet at that time. It said, you know what, we think that electric transportation, particularly electric cars and electric cars, are is going to be the way they go. That's the future. And we're going to begin investing in it now so that when the technology becomes mature and when it's ready to move into the market in a big way, uh, we will be will be that powerhouse. We'll be, and I, I liken it to the Americans after World War II, you know, where they they emerged from that conflict as the global manufacturing powerhouse. Uh, and it looks like China is kind of lining itself up to do that with the with the the new emerging clean energy technologies. Is that a fair way to frame this conversation? Undoubtedly, uh, because uh, if you look at the battery electric, especially battery electric vehicle market today, uh, China is head and shoulder above the rest. Uh, more than 60% of the vehicles that are sold in battery electric vehicle across the world are sold in China. Uh, and they have a very strategic reason for them to do this. Uh, as you absolutely rightly pointed out, that they did not really have a very strong position in uh, ICE engines. Uh, but they realize that uh, they have uh, lots of uh, lithium, which can uh, become a very important source of their competency uh, as far as battery electric vehicles are concerned. So they have strategic reasons to pursue battery electric vehicle despite their energy policy. So they have lithium, uh, they have uh, been supplying uh, the batteries to uh, cell phones and other uh, equipments. And now they want to expand that to, into the car. And now the car becomes a very uh, big consumer of uh, lithium batteries, which is available in abundance in China. Now, we understand that uh, when it comes to battery, the battery supply chain, uh, China absolutely dominates. I mean, there must be 75 to 80 percent of that supply chain is in China, particularly uh, around things like the critical minerals, particularly lithium, and the processing and, and refining of those minerals to make battery metals is where it's, they absolutely have a chokehold on the industry. That is correct. But it doesn't limit itself to that. Even the battery, uh, so battery manufacturing can be divided into cell manufacturing and battery assembly. So the cell manufacturing, which is an individual cell that is uh, manufactured and then that is stacked together as a battery and which can go in uh, cell phones, it can go in laptops, it can go in cars. So that, I mean, simplistically speaking, this is the basic structure. So uh, the cell manufacturing is also something that is absolutely dominated by China, but of course, closely followed by Koreans and uh, closely followed by Japanese. So these three countries together have a very a stronghold on how batteries are being being manufactured, and uh, there are different applications of uh, each one of them. Uh, China absolutely focuses on cars, and that's where uh, they think that their source of competency lies in. I uh, have interviewed a fellow named Mike Andrade, who's a long time been in the manufacturing electronics manufacturing industry, and now is the CEO of Canadian solar company uh, Morgan Solar. And a very thoughtful guy when it comes to these kinds of questions. And one of the points that he he makes is that 
energy as a technology is very different than energy as a commodity. Once you, your, tech, your energy source becomes technology, it obeys laws in, that you find in manufacturing and in electronics, which are very different than, than commodity like oil and gas and, and coal. Would you agree with that? Uh, when I say energy as a technology, I need you to elaborate a little bit. What do you mean by uh, source of energy as a technology? Well, I think he, he's thinking of solar panels and wind turbines oh. and, okay. you know, and batteries for storage and, and software and that, those oh, sorts of things. Okay. So uh, what we are essentially talking about is renewable energy. And when you have a, re a source of energy as renewable energy, uh, electric vehicle is an absolutely different ball game uh, because uh, uh, imagine if uh, you are able to use say solar power or wind power and charge the entire car with it and the car runs then uh, in the running of the car your carbon footprint is close to zero of course there is carbon footprint associated with manufacturing of solar panels uh, erection of solar panels etc but when it comes to running of the vehicle those uh, carbon emissions are absolutely zero. And therefore, uh, energy policy is a very critical component uh, when it comes to uh, promotion as well as success of uh, battery electric vehicles. What, if, what is China doing? Now, we know that they've subsidized the adoption of electric vehicles very heavily in the past. We know that they've subsidized the development of the uh, electric vehicle manufacturing sector and of the supply chains. Are they still subsidizing it to the same extent? Uh, so I don't know whether I can use the word subsidy, but it is definitely incentive. And uh, world over, uh, the countries have to give incentive at different uh, levels for battery electric vehicle to even uh, survive, to sustain. So the kind of incentives uh, governments are able to do uh, is uh, monitoring or incentivizing corporate average fuel consumption. So there is an incentive to reduce your fuel consumption. There is an uh, uh, incentive to reduce uh, use neighborhood electric vehicles, which is electrification. There is an incentive to uh, reduce taxes or reduce taxes are charged to those companies who are in the manufacturing of EV. So all of this is uh, definitely happening. There is also an indirect incentive. There are, uh, if you look at top six cities uh, in China, they have like a waiting list for buying cars because the number of cars that can be sold in the city is restricted. So they call it buying the number plate. So when you have to buy the number plate, uh, electric vehicles have a different queue and a normal car has a different queue. So it's an indirect incentive. Suppose your normal car is going to take, say three months, the electric car, car may be available uh, right away. So that's an indirect incentive that is created to uh, to uh, for the customers to buy electric vehicles. Uh, I won't really call it as subsidy because if if you call it subsidy, then everybody is subsidizing in some one way or the other. Okay, fair enough. But uh, has the level of incentives uh, do, uh, begun to decline as the industry matures and as the domestic market for electric vehicles matures? Yes, uh, definitely. I think uh, that is happening in China and that's also happening world over. Initially, uh, there was like a cash incentive that uh, the customer would get. So if you scrap your uh, IC engine vehicle car, 
and then you go into a battery electric vehicle, then you get like a cash, cash in your hand. So that's no longer happening anywhere in the world that I know of. And uh, are at least the markets that are in the forefront, like China, like US, like Scandinavian countries, that practice has stopped. Um, so the average incentive or average payout from the government has definitely reduced. But now uh, in China, there uh, people see some obvious advantages of buying electric vehicle and therefore uh, there is, uh, uh, I would say, movement towards electric vehicle. And now it is on, in the process of becoming a self-sustaining product category. The, um, we know that uh, China's battery manufacturers are well advanced. They're far ahead of the uh, US and European uh, suppliers. And I was just reading uh, last month that uh, um, I forget the name of the, there's a, a car called the Zeker, and I think it's made by Geely. And right. they were taking a battery. I want to say it it's the it's from CATL, so the big, the big, biggest Chinese battery manufacturer. And they were getting over a thousand kilometers in range, which is essentially double the the um average range now. And it seems like the Chinese companies are leading the charge in terms of technology. Batteries, yes but also in other areas, particularly around uh, electronics, uh, you know, power electronics and and uh, and function within an, an electric vehicle. Is is that correct? Yes. Uh, now they have the critical mass to innovate in terms of uh, providing support systems for battery electric vehicle. Uh, battery electric vehicle does need a lot of uh, support in the sense there is something called um, battery management software. Uh, which needs to monitor not just how the battery is uh, uh, giving uh, power in the car, but also uh, how the battery is performing in terms of temperature, in terms of its chemistry, in terms of which cells are functioning, which cells aren't functioning, what should be the power output. Uh, there are also um, uh, developments in terms of uh, charging the battery when you break or charging the battery when you are decelerating, uh, which uh, further enhances the uh, charge that you have in the battery. So uh, since China has that critical mass and has that uh, initial impetus in terms of uh, assembling proper batteries, definitely uh, these are the developments that are happening in and around uh, battery electric vehicles in China. I was interviewing a, a battery expert and his take on Tesla was that Tesla had a two-year lead in technology over all other, you know, North American and European, and I guess Japanese and Korean uh, EV makers. Would Tesla have a two-year lead on Chinese EV makers? Uh, I I would say it is more than that two years. Two years is too little time as far as uh, IC engines are concerned. I think Tesla is uh, miles ahead of others. And uh, Tesla's complete approach to, uh, to car is different than anybody else in the industry. Uh, they do not treat their car as a car. They treat their car as a gadget. And therefore, you find that uh, it's, uh, I mean, the car, Aspects of car and the features of car are taken for granted, but where they're putting their focus and energies on, is on making this uh, vehicle connected, offering services on top of it. 
making sure that your consumer interface is good. Uh, they are pushing it towards autonomous. So uh, they are truly considering their car as a gadget and a living space. So uh, it's not just a technology, but the entire approach with which Tesla is approaching this passenger vehicle or battery electric vehicle. It's completely different uh, from other OEMs as well as China. I interviewed an expert last year who was talking, we, we talked about uh, the EV as a, as a rolling iPhone. And his point was that this is particularly uh, important in the Chinese market because uh, uh, Chinese uh, citizens are very plugged into their mobile phones. Everything happens in an app and happens online and and whether it's a social media app or a banking app or a whatever it is, it's going through their phone and they expect their 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 automobiles, their transportation to interact with them in, in the same way. And his point was that Tesla was, as you say, you know, kind of at the forefront of that, but the only companies that could compete with Tesla around that battery is, you know, car EV is a rolling iPhone. Were, were some of the Chinese manufacturers? Uh, yes, and this is, uh, I, I do not uh, disagree at all. I think we do call that in future, uh, uh, passenger vehicle will become smartphone on wheels because there are a lot of opportunities that uh, passenger vehicles haven't really capitalized on, uh, which is a smartphone. So for example, uh, your smartphone knows your next appointment, your car doesn't. In fact, you're going to sit in the car and travel to that. So actually the car should know where you're going next and you don't have to really set your destination and set your uh, journey time, et cetera. The car should know, but uh, obviously the way the car is approached in a isolation, in like a bubble, uh, they don't know that. And therefore uh, battery electric vehicle has a necessity for uh, it to be connected, but over a period of time, all passenger vehicles, including cars, including trucks, including two-wheelers, will go into this uh, similar uh, similar framework that it is. it has to be smart, it has to be connected, it has to be a living space, and your life has to go on even when you're traveling. My next question revolves around the different segments of the EV market. And we see in North America and Europe where the EV manufacturers, a lot of them are OEM manufacturers, uh, but even this is this is true of some like Lucid and and Rivian, is they're going after the premium market. They they think that they'll get to profitability quicker that way. But China has taken a very different uh, approach to this. Yes, they have premium brands, of course they do, but they also have developed vehicles for the lower end of the market and the middle of the market. And so, for instance, in in uh, China, you can buy a, a Guangdong uh, Mini for forty five hundred dollars US. I mean, you could barely buy an electric bike in Canada for forty five hundred dollars, but here you can yeah. have a you can have a, a full you know four wheels and, and it, it's actually a car. Is, is does that give China a, a very significant leg up uh, in you know in the developing in, industry? The fact that it can in hit these different consumer uh, markets. Uh, I would put them as two different segments. Uh, what you're mentioning. Uh, sounds like a neighborhood electric vehicle to me. So these are uh, vehicles which are uh, which are not meant to travel at 200 kilometers an hour, which we don't need to, right? 
these are meant to travel within the city where the speeds rarely exceed 50, 60 kilometers. Uh, you know, uh, our research, Frost and Sullivan research indicates that 80% of the uh, rides in the passenger car happen when the driver is alone in the car. So you might have like four seats and you might design the car for the maximum load, but uh, it is not used 80% of the times. And therefore uh, the whole approach and uh, China has numbers to back it up, has the population to back it up, is uh, to create a lighter version of the vehicle, which is good enough for the city, which is good enough for daily use. And then uh, the customers can use another vehicle for intercity travel. Whereas uh, say in Canada or in US, uh, the, the vehicle is used as a uh, individual position, which is used by one person to go anywhere and everywhere. And the traveling distances, the speeds are also quite high. And that I would say is a big difference. And that's why you, you would find that uh, you have neighborhood electric vehicles and you have premium vehicles. And both of them have their own uh, place in the world. The reason why uh, premium vehicles succeed is because uh, the cost of battery is quite high as compared to engine. And uh, when you have a battery which itself is going to be more costly, if you fit it in a vehicle that is uh, going to be at a, a targeted at a middle class, you're not going to make too much of sense. So therefore, a premium luxury car, which is priced higher, makes better sense in EV and therefore all the OEMs are after that second. What about the uh, battery swapping? Uh, this, uh, uh, you know, a couple of companies uh, tried this early on in North America and failed. Uh, I hear that it might be coming back for big trucks, you know, class eight uh, long haul semi trucks, which makes sense. I mean, if you could, you know, if you're a, a long haul trucker and, and you can pull into a, a battery swap uh, location, a, a station, and within 15 or 20 minutes, you can drive off with a, a, a fully charged, fresh battery. Uh, that changes the, the game probably for for long haul trucking, for, for heavy the heavy duty market. But what about, and, and also we should point out that, you know, for, for two and three wheelers, uh, battery swapping has become uh, very popular in, in Asia. You, 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 you can, I guess you can get a little shop and, and you, it's automated and you can just take the battery out, put your battery in and, and away you go. It's, it's very, very quick and, and simple. Are we going to see that in China uh, and in China, in Chinese uh, electric vehicles, are we going to see some form of battery swapping? So there are some companies who are pursuing battery swapping as a strategy, and uh, that is uh, they are trying to set up the network and trying to make sure that uh, they uh, they pursue this strategy as a differentiation. But there are some inherent challenges in battery swapping. First one being standardization of batteries. So uh, if all OEMs come together and decide that they will use same battery in all models and in all cars, battery swapping is far more intuitive. But if uh, every OEM pursues uh, battery as their uh, uh, differentiator, battery as their key competency area and creates a different battery, then imagine what's going to happen at the battery swapping station. If you have 100 different cars and 200 different batteries, then how are you going to make sure that any car that comes in gets a battery? And at the back end, they have to charge the battery. So number one challenge there is battery standardization. Second challenge there is safety. Battery 
you know, so looks when we keep using laptops and cell phones, we feel our oh, battery is like just dry cell. It's not because uh, when you put a battery of the kind of uh, rating that you have in the car, it is a very big safety hazard. And uh, the battery can heat up. Uh, battery is, is like explosive in itself if it is not handled properly. Mm -hmm. So any kind of battery swapping network, uh, let's say there is an error in fixing the battery. Let's say there is some uh, loose connection or some safety measure is not taken into account. Or uh, to make the car available for battery swapping, you need to fit the battery in such a way that it can be removed from outside without opening the car. That itself is a uh, potential design hazard. So all of these, uh, all of these challenges, unless you overcome and unless there is a solution for that, I don't foresee battery swapping becoming very popular in the passenger vehicle segment. Two wheelers is a different matter altogether because two wheelers, the batteries are much smaller and uh, you know, you can uh, carry the battery in your hand and uh, put it and bring it back. You can't do that with the car. The battery may weigh a ton, so you can't do that. So it has to be automated. I'm not sure about uh, this uh, trucks, but I do believe that uh, for trucks, uh, uh, they there are restrictions on how much a driver can drive in a day. And if you look at uh, how much time they are supposed to rest and spend, then uh, charging in that particular time and giving the range for the full day travel is a far more uh, sensible solution or making sure that you give an interim charge when they stop for a lunch or a coffee break. That is a far more intuitive and far more hassle-free solution than battery swapping in my opinion. Fair enough. Uh, now, one a topic that has really become, in, I'm very interested in it because I was at the 24th World Petroleum Congress in Calgary a couple of weeks ago, and they were the uh, oil and gas industry is doing its level best to redefine the narrative around the energy transition. So instead of displacing oil fossil fuels, particularly uh, oil and gas, they're arguing that the growth in population between now and 2050, combined mm -hmm. with the desire to lift people out of energy poverty, will actually maintain demand and grow demand for oil in particular. Uh, might, you might see 130 barrels a day by, by 2050. And it'll and, and then the electric uh, vehicles will then simply takes kind of on the margins. You know, it, it, it won't displace oil. It won't displace the internal combustion engine. It'll take growth on the margins. And their argument is, that you know, uh, low and middle income companies, emerging economies, you know, in in Africa, in Latin America, in certain parts of of Asia, they will continue with the the old the internal combustion engine technology, and intuitively, that doesn't seem right to me because the electric vehicle technology, first of all, your fuel. You, you is you know I mean some solar panels and a little microgrid and your whole neighborhood is can be set up for charging everybody can have a an electric vehicle or a two wheeler or a three three wheel whatever the case is so if I'm living in Africa I'm more much more likely to have a small EV or a two wheeler than I am an internal combustion car 
You know, that just seems intuitive to me. But I'm I'm curious about your take on this and if there's any data, any research that addresses this issue. Um, so battery electric vehicle uh, as a solution, uh, it's, uh, you know, when you look at it, look at the world from, say, uh, from the perspective of, say, Norway or Sweden or Canada or US, the world appears a lot different. There are a lot of states which are electricity deficient states. So there are a lot of states where, uh, you know, the uh, challenges between whether to power houses or whether to power battery electric vehicle, which will run equally well or even better in on petrol or diesel. Uh, secondly, uh, the renewable energy, unless uh, becomes so popular and so uh, omnipresent uh, that uh, the entire electric vehicles can be charged by renewable energy. Uh, just charging the car and running may not make uh, a lot of sense because uh, let's say you're uh, generating power by coal and charging electric vehicle and running, you're actually causing more emission than a fuel efficient petrol or diesel engine. So uh, I would put it as a very, very long haul uh, filled with potholes, filled with uh, challenges to go from the current state to 100% electric transportation all across the world. I think that is uh, that is really a very big pipe dream. Um, as far as uh, projections on oil are concerned, I'm, I don't track that market, so I, it's very hard for me to say, but uh, even in our 2030 forecast of frost and saloon, we are not expecting that the world will be IC engine free, no. Uh, there will be growth. Uh, IC engine, even by by the year 2030 or 2035, will remain the largest uh, powertrain across the world. Across the world, it will be IC engine that will be the largest segment followed by battery electric vehicle. And there would be even hybrid vehicles, which has some sort of engine inside, um, which will also exist. So if you include hybrid plus uh, IC engines together, which means vehicles that have some sort of engine inside, they are still more than 50%. So uh, I don't really foresee a situation in which everything is electric, everything is just driving a battery electric vehicle. No. Let me give you the perspective that we have here at Energy Media, which is that energy transitions by their very nature take many, many, many decades. The last right. one did, the last one that started in the 19th century, which was the rise of cheap petroleum and the internal combustion engine. You know, right. really, really uh, 60, 70 years. It, it was a long, it was a long time. And so we fully expect that, you know, before transportation <clears throat> is fueled entirely by electricity, it will be a long time yet. No, there's no doubt about it. But the 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 issue here is, is not when, whether it's zero or a hundred, it's somewhere in between where energy systems get disrupted. It's the disruption that's that's critical. And of course, you know, uh, here in Canada, we're, you know, the fourth largest oil producer and the oil producers talk about future oil demand like, OK, we're 103 million barrels a day today. today. Uh, but, you know, if, if in a decade we're at 80 million barrels a day or 60 million barrels a day, no problem. And that's not how markets work. You know, if you've got 100 million barrels a day of supply chasing 80 million barrels a day of demand, 
your industry is seriously disrupted. Probably prices are volatile and low, and and that affects then revenue for governments, and it affects the number of jobs available. I mean, that's a very very big disruption for the for the oil industry, despite the fact that you know maybe by twenty fifty. Uh, battery electric vehicles may only be 50% of the market. Nevertheless, it's disrupted the, the status quo and disrupted, you know, the, the, the old ener energy system. That's, that's really, I think what I'm interested in. And that's why I see that, you know, the emerging economies will be a battleground because China will want, China's already setting up, you know, Chinese, Chinese EV manufacturers are already setting up distribution networks in some of these countries and you know they're settling in for the long haul. They think that they can own those markets, and especially as North America builds out its electric vehicle, you know it's going to take them time before they. I mean, who knows when they'll they'll export EVs, and so that gives China an opportunity to get a, a really strong foothold in what could be very big markets. You know, in 2040, 2050, 2060. Uh, yes. So I will break up your question into two parts. One is uh, what happens when the demand of oil declines and uh, how do oil companies uh, survive or what do they do? You know, the industry is disrupted. There is absolutely no doubt about it. So there is no debate about whether it is disrupted or not. But whether oil companies will survive or they'll die is a different uh, question altogether because uh, oil has this, um, I would say, very speciality where they produce only when they see a demand. And they can quickly do so. So oil companies uh, really struggle when there is uncertainty or when there is a sudden drop in the demand. But if they know that the steady demand is at X level, they actually work backwards and start producing less and make sure that they always remain profitable. I think that is something that is their inherent position, their, their skill or uh, unique market position that they have which will allow them to do so. So, I mean, that is, of course, I am no expert on oil companies. I don't track that market, but this is what I understand as an allied industry to the automotive. Now, uh, your second question is, does China have an opportunity to enter into all the developing markets and directly make them electric vehicles uh, without going through the pains of, or the stages of IC engine? Uh, theoretically, yes, but, uh, Electric vehicle is a system play. It is not a product play. So when I say system play, uh, it means that you need to have electricity. Your electricity needs to be coming from renewable energy. You need to have a proper distribution. Most of this uh, power distribution uh, happens through government companies, which are very inefficient. There are subsidies involved. Uh, there are leakages involved. Then the electricity reaches uh, your plug point, and then you sell the car. So just selling the car is not the end game as far as battery electric vehicles are concerned. And therefore, even if you open distribution channel and even if you set up, bring all your swanky cars, unless you have uh, this entire, uh, uh, whatever is below the uh, eye level uh, sorted out. So selling the car is just the tip of the iceberg. But uh, there is a lot that happens before even the car gets sold. Now, as far as uh, petrol engines or diesel engines are concerned, that system is quite sorted. As far as electricity is concerned, it is not. Yeah, I like the way you frame that as a system play versus a, a, a product play. And that's not a way that, uh, not a frame that I had used to think about it, but I think that's very, very useful. 
Uh, Vivek, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, any final thoughts on the Chinese uh, electric vehicle manufacturing sector, where the technology is going, where China is going, you know, policy-wise, that sort of thing. Any any final thoughts? Uh, I think the world has to be ready for Chinese automotive and Chinese battery electric vehicles. Uh, they have found uh, uh, found a niche in which they are leading, and that is supported by, I would say, developed world. So, for example. This idea first came to the Europeans that we should have battery electric vehicles. But now, suddenly, it is the Chinese players who are at the forefront, who have uh, the niche and who have the uh, capability, which is far better than those who develop the policy. So that's a very unique market situation, and the world has to be ready for it. So uh, you, you may be caught in the mindset of oh, Chinese product is... Uh, you know, has this kind of properties, maybe it's value for money, but it's not so good, etc. But that is not the case. And the world has to be ready to accept the Chinese uh, battery electric vehicles with open arms. Well, it will be interesting to see because, of course, the, the, Europe is already opening a, an investigation into uh, Chinese EV manufacturers, you know, being heavily subsidizing prices, unfair competition. And so we'll see where that goes. I think that'll be the, the test case. But Vivek, thank you very much for this. It's been very, uh, very interesting. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed the chat.